Welcome to The Right Side with Ned Ryan. This podcast was inspired in some ways by my wife, who always wanted to be able to hear my thoughts and ideas on politics, that quite frankly, after a long day of work, I'd many times want to leave the TV and politics behind and focus on being home with the family to be the best dad and husband I can be. It's also inspired by the fact that many times when I do interviews or radio or interviews with print outlets, there are many things left unsaid due to time constraints. And quite frankly, sometimes there are never opportunities to say things because you get bumped from TV because of llamas chasing llamas in the streets. Or sometimes hurricanes happen. I, of course, would never claim to have all the answers to the world's problems because that would be absurd. I would only make the claim to have some answers that if they were in fact implemented, the world would be a better place. I'm originally from God's country of Kansas, graduated from that bastion of conservative thought, the University of Kansas, with degrees in English and history, and I've been in Washington, D.C. for nearly 20 years, with a dad that was in Congress for 10 years, and I held a writing position at George W. Bush's White House. If you would have ever asked me growing up if I would be involved in politics, I would have said no. But here we are. I'm married to a saint of a woman and have four kids. Five if you include the dog. To be clear, I have no cats. No fish, no birds, no snails. Just a dog named Bentley. My goal with this podcast is to highlight multiple times a week. I don't know if this will be daily. But the issues that I think are the most important that maybe people are missing in the news cycle, that they should be aware of. Obviously, the things that are happening right now that are in front of people's minds are two issues of Uranium One and Fusion GPS. And these are two of the stories that I've been following for quite a bit of time uh, and talking about on TV uh, in my various op-eds as well, either at The Hill or Fox News Opinion uh, or other outlets. Uh, back in May, um, you can go and Google Ned Ryan and MSNBC and Stephanie Rule, I brought up the issue of Uranium One and Hillary Clinton. And besides the fact that you would have thought I shot somebody's dog, it was a very interesting exchange because I realized I was onto something. That in fact, I really did believe that was the story of real collusion. There was something very wrong with the Uranium One story and the Clinton Foundation. Of course, Peter Schweitzer and his book Clinton Cash had been on that story earlier, as had the New York Times. Uh, and that was the article I was using uh, in rebuttal to the guests and the host that day uh, back in May on MSNBC. But there are a couple of things that I really wanted to highlight about the Uranium One story that I think is not that, – that have not gotten all the attention that they need to get. I think we need to go back and understand a little bit more of these dynamics. And I wrote a piece for Fox News Opinion uh, just the other day talking about Uranium One and some of the things that need to be highlighted. First of all, this whole deal went down – in August through October of 2010, it was a very expedited process by which the Obama administration approved the Uranium One deal. Now, for those that are uh, is not familiar with D.C. Uh, as others, the ones that approve these kinds of deals, uh, it's the CFIUS board, the CFIUS uh, commission, whatever you want to call it. CFIUS board is, is made up of the heads of nine departments and agencies inside an administration – uh, CFIUS is C-F-I-U-S, and it stands for the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. Now, there's nine voting members uh, on this, this committee that look at things like Uranium One uh, that deal with uh, you know, potential investment in the United States from uh, foreign investors, 
investment that might be backed by a foreign state, whether it's China, whether it's Russia. And I think one of the things that we have to do is go and understand why did this happen in such an expedited fashion? And I think the way that we get to answers on this is we have to pull in the nine voting members of CFIUS and bring them to the Hill, either in front of the House Intelligence Committee or the Senate Judiciary Committee, and ask them questions under oath in a public setting. Why did you approve the Uranium One deal, and why did you do it in a relatively expedited fashion? The nine voting members of CFIUS in the fall of 2010 were Secretary of Treasury Timothy Geithner, Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, the Attorney General Eric Holder, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security Janet Napolitano, the head of the Defense Department, Robert Gates, the Secretary of Energy, Stephen Chu, the U.S. Trade Representative, Ron Kirk, and the head of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, John Holdren. They have to be asked questions in a committee setting under oath as to why they approve this deal. I've heard others on TV over the last couple of days, Democrats, uh, trying to excuse away some of the interactions and relationship we had with Russia at the time. We knew at that time, in 2010, that Russia was aggressive, that it was a challenging time for our relationship with Russia. You just have to go back and look that Russia was attempting to annex Georgia. It was intimidating the Ukraine, and it was even threatening Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia short-range nuclear weapons. We knew exactly who Russia was at this time. They had shown aggression, were being aggressive around the time that the Uranium One deal was done. Now, to give a little bit more perspective as well, we knew also that Rosatom, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is Russia's nuclear agency, had taken a 17% position in Uranium One in 2009. And then in the summer of 2010, Right before this deal was approved by the CFIUS board, Rosatam had brought up, bought the majority control of Uranium One. So we, we knew all of these things were happening as this was coming before the CFIUS board. Now, I want to go back and talk a little bit, too, about the expedited fashion in which this deal was done. Usually this takes between 75 and 90 days for CFIUS deals to be approved. When you're dealing with really important questions of national security, sometimes these take 120 days. This deal was brought before the CFIUS board first week of August and was approved by October 22nd, the same year, 2010. This was on the short end of barely acceptable approval process. And it wasn't as though Republicans weren't raising concerns about this deal. In fact, on October 5th of 2010, Republicans were sending a letter, sent a letter to Timothy Geithner saying, we have deep concerns about this Uranium One deal. The response was essentially to ignore Republicans' concerns. And I also want to highlight again, as this was an expedited fashion, Russia got this deal moved through the Obama administration faster than it took the Obama administration Department of Justice's antitrust division to approve any of the mergers of two U.S. companies it reviewed. That's how quickly this process was. And to also help people understand a little bit more, Rosatom 
the ones that owned Uranium One, uh, in, in which, uh, again, it's Russia's nuclear agency, were also involved in helping and aiding Iran in building its nuclear capacity. They helped build nuclear plants in Iran, and they also trained Iranian nuclear scientists. All of these things, I think, in the end will be found to be connected with the Uranium One deal, Russia, Iran. Um, and I've also theorized there's either two things why this deal took place. One is that it was payback, potentially payback to Clinton and Democrat donors because they really wanted this deal to take happen for financial reasons. Or two, it was, in fact, a way in which the Obama administration mistakenly thought they could bring Russia along to help support them in the terrible and awful Iranian deal. So these are some of the things we have to think about doing in regards to Uranium One and some of the stories that we should be following. Uh, Republicans on the Hill need to bring the CFIUS board members under oath to the Hill to have a conversation. Now, the other story that's really starting to break is obviously Fusion GPS. There are a couple points I want to make about Fusion GPS. Part of the pushback on this story from the left, from Democrats, even some of the mainstream media, has been, well, this is normal. This is normal in campaigns to do opposition research. I want to make this very clear. Fusion GPS is not an opposition research firm. They are a misinformation firm. They are a disinformation firm. I've been in politics nearly 20 years. In dealing with opposition research, real opposition research is based in fact. It's based in looking at court records. It's based in looking at voting records, public statements. It's going back and collecting every bit of evidence against your opponent to then use it against him or her in a campaign. It's based in fact. Misinformation and disinformation is what Fusion GPS was peddling to the press, the willing press, to put out the story, the fake story, about Trump-Russia collusion. And let's not forget, when we have now discovered that the DNC and the Clinton campaign were funding this to the tune of 6 to $9 million, whatever the real dollar figure is, Fusion GPS was paying Christopher Steele, a foreigner, a former MI6 agent, who was then turning around and paying former FSB agents to feed him information to put into this largely discredited dossier. So there are a couple other things to also be aware of with the Fusion GPS story that people are not highlighting. One of the reasons that Fusion GPS got on Senator Chuck Grassley's radar is the fact that Fusion GPS, at the time that it was compiling this dossier, it appears that it was working on behalf of a foreign state, Russia, acting illegally because it did not file FARA. It did not legally register as a foreign agent working on behalf of a foreign government. There are a lot of other things that need to be explored with Fusion GPS in regards to who some of its other clients were as well. I would actually encourage people to go look at Derwick Associates, a Venezuelan company, with Alejandro Betancourt Lopez. I think that will lead to some very interesting uh, questions and conclusions as well. So one of the things that needs to be done and understood with the Fusion GPS story is that the story is not done. Threads need to keep getting pulled because I think it will lead to very interesting places. A couple of the other points that were missed in regards to the Fusion GPS story as well, 
Bill Browder uh, of, of Hermitage Capital testified under oath this summer um, about Fusion GPS, about some of their behavior towards him. And there were two very interesting points that he made under oath in responding to questions from Lindsey Graham and Chuck Grassley. Lindsey Graham asked Bill Browder under oath, do you think that there were Russians involved in funding Fusion's work? And Browder's response under oath was, in the spring and summer of 2016, Fusion was receiving money indirectly from senior Russian government officials. The other thing that needs to be highlighted is when Senator Chuck Grassley asked Browder, do you think that reporters were being paid money to push Fusion's dossier and other lines of attack against them? And Browder responded, I am convinced that there are, in fact, journalists being paid. In fact, there is one journalist that I am almost 100% convinced was receiving money because he was acting so far outside the bounds of journalistic ethics. So as, as we start to look at this Fusion GPS story, we have to understand, as we're talking about the fake dossier, let's not forget that they were acting illegally as agents of a foreign government. One of the things that people need to understand is that Glenn Simpson and the other, a lot of the other founding members of Fusion GPS are former Wall Street Journal reporters. They have used that legitimacy to add weight to their disinformation campaigns. And I think this is part of the insidious side of what Fusion GPS has done. They have found a weak spot in the media, and they have manipulated it. They've manipulated it in some ways because they have found and understood, as did Ben Rhodes, that a lot of these reporters are 20 and 30-somethings who are overwhelmed. They are needing information. They are needing stories to write. Fusion knew that. These are old-hand reporters. They knew that they would have willing accomplices that they could manipulate by feeding their disinformation to to write stories. So I think that's also one of the things that needs to be understood. The very credibility of the press has been called into question because of Fusion GPS's manipulation of them. Let's not forget, many in the mainstream media were more than willing accomplices because the Trump-Russia collusion fit their worldview. And I want to close with this thought on the mainstream media. The mainstream media has in many ways destroyed its own credibility. In 1976, a Gallup poll asking Americans about the trustworthiness of the press, 72% of Americans said that they found the press trustworthy or very trustworthy. Gallup did the same poll in the fall of 2016. Only 32% of Americans said that they found the media trustworthy or very trustworthy. 40-point drop over 40 years. And many in the mainstream media have become opinionists. They are not journalists. They want to act as though they are Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with God's truth. Nope. They're just opinionists, not journalists, driving their own worldview, their own narrative with their own value set. And I think this is one of the things as you're starting to see people lose trust in their institutions is because of people's own doing. When you look at the media and look at their behavior, it calls into question, we want a free press. We also want an honest press, and we want them to be honest about who they are. They want to act as though they are paragons of truth and rightness. Nope. You're just another guy with an opinion driving your own worldview. I think the other thing that's troubling, too, about the whole Uranium One deal is 
many Americans are losing trust in their institutions. And I think as we go down this path of further exploring and trying to understand why did the nine voting members of CFIUS vote to approve this, I think that we will have some troubling revelations and will only further highlight the lack of trust that the American people have in their institutions and only make it worse. So I hope you've enjoyed the first episode of The Right Side with Ned Ryan. Look for the next episode, hopefully soon, in which I give a dose of conservative realism in an increasingly irrational world.